Hey, Crosswalk. Pastor Patty here, lead pastor for Crosswalk Portland. I am so sad we are not together today, and I so wish I could see your faces instead of staring at my computer screen. We really didn't want to cancel services, but when our brave Pastor Lydia and her husband, Zach, got to the parking lot of the church building, it was clear that there was no way that that ice would melt by tomorrow morning. So here we are again, such a strange week for Portland, sitting at home, watching services online, listening to podcasts. Um, uh, but I've been saying since Tuesday, well, at least it's going to warm up tomorrow. And I have been wrong every single day. Several of you commented last week when you were watching Pastor Tim online that you thought it was funny that he mentioned Portland closing. But I personally was offended. Pastor Tim compared our fear of snow to Southern California's fear of rain, insinuating that we might be a little silly for canceling services just because of a little snow. I felt attacked. Those fears are so not the same thing. So defend our honor, as is my job as your pastor. I called up Pastor Tim and set him straight, telling him we're not afraid of snow, but ice and and those crazy Portland drivers that go out on it. And to suggest anything less is insulting. He agreed, and we parted ways, promising to do better as your pastors at loving each other well. Anyway, I just wanted you to know that your pastor always has your back. But in all seriousness, I do hope you were able to watch Pastor Tim's message from last week. It was so good. And if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to watch it this afternoon. We're going to launch pad off of it for the service, for the message today. It was powerful. It was grace-filled and a great springboard into John 15. So whether you're watching Redlands online today and listening to Pastor Tim, or you're just listening to my sermon, or maybe you're even going online to listen to Pastor Dave in Chattanooga, if you do all three of those, you'll get a full 360-degree view of our text for today. So we are in week three of our series called New Wine, wrestling with the words Jesus wrote, so Jesus wrote, Jesus said in Luke 5, uh, involving new wine and new wineskins and what those mean, especially when compared to the old wine and the old wineskins. Last week, Pastor Tim talked about when wineskins get old, they get brittle and they crack easily. To save them, one has to defend them, protect them, or else they'll fall apart. And we see this happening in faith traditions that are trying to hold on to the past, to the good old days, and to the times when they thought they had all the right answers for their faith. But then, because the Spirit of God is always on the move, The new wine comes and either we create new wineskins or we must work at becoming more flexible, pliable, and willing to adapt and go wherever the spirit leads or else the wineskins break. This is such an important series for us to consider and wrestle with at Crosswalk. I'm sure some of you have had to explain to people, I know I have, but they'll ask, what's so different about Crosswalk? And if you come to Crosswalk and you leave thinking that the only real difference is the coffee in the lobby, the drums on the stage, and the fancy lights in the background, then you missed it. You should probably keep coming back because those are only the wineskins. Why are we doing those things is what really matters. This is the, the why is the wine. What have we been shown and convicted of that leads us to do what we do? All of that springs from who we believe Jesus to be, what message we believe he has for us in this time and in this place. We even have people that leave Crosswalk and say, I don't know what it is, but there's something different about that place. It happens at all of our campuses and all of our groups. When they say they don't, when they say that, they they don't mean the lights and coffee and drums. They mean that deep down, there's something different about the messaging, something different about the focus, the people, the culture, and it's drawing them in. 
But coming into this series, I admittedly struggled with the idea of new wine. To put it in my own words, I I think the new wine we speak of here at Crosswalk is our laser focus on Jesus, our claim that we are a one-issue church, that issue being Jesus, and our simple but profound call for us to take seriously Jesus' command to love well. We have been given a picture of a Jesus, of a God, who is actually for us, not against us, a God seeking to save us, not cast us out, a God who calls us to the uncomfortable act of love, the elemental focus on him, and the adventure of following with, uh, him with reckless abandon. These aren't new things, necessarily. I mean, in one sense, they're at least as ancient as the scriptures I hold in my hand, and yet, in another sense, they are new to us, to our time, within our faith tradition. You see, God continues to reveal himself to us in new ways for at least two reasons. One, he reveals himself to us in new ways because we are so quick to forget who God is. Our circumstances change and suddenly we think God has left us or we sin, we fall, we fail, and we feel as if God wants nothing to do with us. But God also continues to reveal himself to us in new ways because we aren't always ready to know everything there is to know about God. Not that we'll ever know everything there is to know about God, but he continually condescends to us, speaks to us where we are, and reveals what he hopes we are open enough to receive. And if we do receive these new revelations, then he continues to push and expand our understanding of who he is and how he loves so that we are changed more and more into his likeness. That's why new wine needs new wineskins, because it expands and grows. We see this all through scripture. Paul tells us in Hebrews that long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. That's Hebrews 1. So God spoke to us one way at one point in time, the Old Testament, and he revealed things about himself then. Then he spoke to us in a different way at another point in time that was even more clear and even more revealing of his nature. And that's new wine, Jesus. And look, uh, you can see this uh, at the Sermon on the Mount as well. Jesus comes into the picture and says things like, You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. Much of what he shares in the Sermon on the Mount are references to commandments given in the Old Testament. And many of those are given by him in the Old Testament. Like, if you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, even if you look at another with lustful thoughts— You see, Jesus is expanding our view of something he said before because he knows we're ready to hear something new, new wine. I first tasted this new wine for myself in 2011 in a hotel room in Atlanta, Georgia. I had for so long thought that all my beliefs had to be equally important and hold equal weight. I was spending so much time trying to learn all there was about everything I was supposed to know that I was becoming paralyzed spiritually. You've heard me talk about this before in Portland through the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 9, and it's why I connect so much with that story. Martha did many things, too many things, and she lost sight of the guest of honor that was in her house. Mary, her sister, sat at Jesus' feet in the position of a disciple and hung on his every word. Jesus ends up saying to Martha, it's Luke 10, sorry, not Luke 9, in Luke 10, at the end of that chapter, Jesus says to Martha, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details, but there's, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. That one thing was and always will be Jesus. Nothing is as important as Jesus. 
Now, that doesn't mean that our other doctrines are worthless or wrong, but it does mean that when Jesus is your most important thing, he has a way of helping you sort through what is and what isn't important. And if our doctrines don't point us back to Jesus and help us know him better, then something is wrong with our doctrines. So for me, in that hotel room in Atlanta in 2011, I found Jesus among the noise of all my other beliefs and traditions. And he helped me and continues to help me sort through all of life's noise so I can better hear his voice, see his face, and hopefully be open each day to receive the new wine he has to pour into me. Now, sometimes when we find something new that is so life-giving, we can be quick to want to erase the old and throw it out or, man, burn it down. I don't know. And look, there's, there's no doubt that in many ways, it is easier to start something new than to refresh something old, right? I mean, it's easier to plant a new church, many say, than to try and change an existing one, right? Now, planting a church isn't easy. I can attest to that. But it's really hard to try to change an existing church culture and focus. Maybe that's why some of you are here at Crosswalk. You're ready to leave the old ways behind in search of what God is doing now, Because trying to breathe new life into something that's been around for years is just hard. Some people won't let go of the old wine or its wineskins. But this tension is what Pastor Tim spoke to so beautifully last week. He spoke about how, though it's difficult, it is possible to renew old wineskins, even though in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 9 and Luke 5, in the Greek language, it's pretty clear that he wasn't talking about renewal. He was talking about new new wineskins, not renewed wineskins. But that said, look at how Jesus spent his earthly life. He tried to help the old traditions of Judaism receive the new wine, the expanded view of who God is and who God loves. He even told them that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But for all his attempts to renew the old wineskins, we find Jesus reflecting on this same, on, on, on the faith tradition, his faith tradition, Judaism, Um, And it's as he's coming close to the end of his life in Luke 19. It says, as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Luke 19, 41 and 43. Jesus knew how hard it would be to renew old wineskins, but he did try. He tried and he wept because he is a God of love. But do note, Jesus' efforts with the Jews weren't all for nothing. There were Jews who came to believe, Jews who helped carry that new wine to the ends of the earth, Jews from the old traditions that were forever changed because they were open to new things. As a follower of Jesus, I have to believe in renewal because if I'm honest, I've gone through my own dry seasons in life where parts of my spiritual journey feel old and brittle as if they're falling apart. I don't know if you've felt this way, dry and brittle, like you wanted something new, say in your prayer life, but you didn't know how to go about that. Or maybe you stopped going to church because you felt like you're just going through the motions, not getting anything out of it. Or, or maybe your Bible is covered in dust because the scriptures have stopped being living words to you right now. They're just ink on a page that doesn't have anything to do with your life today. How do you survive the dry seasons? How do we become pliable enough to receive the new wine God wants to pour into us? Well, in part, it does take a new heart. 
this was mentioned last week too, but just as a review, when the Israelites had lost their way yet again, God told them through the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel 18, 31, he said, put all your rebellion behind you and find yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O people of Israel? Basically, God told them to repent, to turn from the choices that were causing them to forget God and seek out a new heart. In this passage, the ownership seems to be on us to seek out that new heart, to turn from our sin to make better choices if we want to receive God's spirit again. But then God, in his incredible graciousness, ends up telling us later in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 26, and I, God says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. So God says, look, you guys need a new heart a new wineskin to receive my spirit, my new wine, and actually, I'm going to give you one. So, so how does this happen? Well, if we are to renew the old wineskins, as Pastor Tim said, we must soak them in water and oil. The water and oil is the word of God and his Holy Spirit. For the old wineskins to have a chance at renewal, they must be immersed in the word of God and open to wherever his spirit leads. In the coming weeks of this series, we'll talk about how we immerse ourselves into God's word and God's spirit through practices that can renew and remake us into his image. But that journey begins with today's passage found in the Gospel of John chapter 15. And that was a really long buildup to getting to our passage for today. So don't worry, I don't have another 30 minutes to go. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you more here in just a minute. We'll start our journey in this passage today and we'll finish it next week. Now, it's important to note that John 15 is a part of what some call Jesus's last discourse, his last words to his disciples before his death that he knows is just hours away. So what Jesus chooses to share here is critical. They are his dying words, so to speak. Now the chapter begins, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener, John 15, 1. In the book of John, there are seven I am statements of Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world and so on. But John 15 is different because in John 15, Jesus has a role and God has a role. In order to help us grow in the vine, Jesus tells us that God, the Father, the gardener, in John 15, 2, it says, He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more fruit. Now, a garden, a gardener gardens in order to produce, to produce a crop, in this metaphor, grapes. And in case you didn't know, grapes are used to make wine. That's right, people. We're here at Crosswalk to help educate you. So just leave your donations at the door. (laughs) But seriously, God desires for us to produce fruit. And if there's anything that is keeping us from reaching our potential growth, God loves us enough to cut off or prune those things. It sounds harsh, but we must remember God's goal, which is for us to bear much fruit. Now let's stay here for a moment. Is there something in your life right now that is keeping you from growing, from producing fruit, from receiving the new wine. Maybe you're struggling to forgive someone. Maybe your work is more important to you than anything else in your life. Maybe you spend too much time comparing yourself to a neighbor or that person online. Or maybe what needs to be pruned in you is actually a good thing, and it's even producing some fruit, but it's keeping you from more abundant fruit. Maybe you're doing so much for Jesus, but not enough with Jesus, and you're burning out. Whatever it is, God wants to prune you and help you grow even more because it's what you were created to do. But pruning can be a slow and difficult process when you're talking about humans. 
Just look at Jesus's journey with the disciples. He spent day after day after day with the disciples for three and a half years, teaching and showing them who God really was, what really mattered, and what he, the Messiah, had actually come to do. Jesus was up against hundreds of years of teaching in the wrong direction, years of focusing more on the rules than the rule maker, years of thinking that you and your people are the special ones while everyone else was a waste of good dirt, years of religious elitism, years of empty religious piety, and years of anticipating a future that would put you back on top of the food chain. So Jesus, like a gifted surgeon, had to work at removing their hatred, their arrogance, their pride, and their holier-than-thou personas, and replace those things with love, humility, and a heart for service. Stony hearts for new hearts takes time. You'd think three and a half years would be enough, but we know that minutes before Jesus' words in John 15, Jesus had found the disciples arguing about which one of them was the greatest. And while they argued, King Jesus got down on his hands and feet once again, to try and prune them of their pride by washing their feet. You see, pruning isn't a once-and-done experience. It takes time to do it right, and it must happen again and again and again if we want to keep growing. So pruning can hurt, it can be painful, it can take time, but it is always with our best interests in mind. Jesus continues his teachings in John 15 and says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Hmm. Now, there are two parts of this text to unpack here, but we'll tackle one part of this this week and the other part next week, which will set us up for how we finish this series. So for today, let's talk about fruit. Some think the fruit Jesus is referring to in this passage is what happens when we help another person give their life to Jesus, when we introduce someone to Jesus and they get baptized. We often call this evangelism. And if you haven't done this, personally led someone to Jesus, then you don't have any fruit, right? But I think helping another person find Jesus happens as a result of the fruit produced in our lives. That would mean the fruit Jesus refers to, uh, refers to involves what happens in us when Jesus replaces our stony hearts with fleshy ones. Paul shares in detail what this fruit is in his letter to the Galatians. In fact, he speaks of two different kinds of fruit. One is the fruit produced by our sinful nature, things like idolatry and hostility and jealousy and anger and division and so on. That's the kind of people we were before Christ, the kind of fruit our lives were producing. But then Paul goes on to say what a life in Christ is like, a life surrendered to Christ, a life connected to the vine of Christ. And that looks and produces a different kind of fruit. He says, the fruit is, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things, Galatians 5. When you have the fruit of the Spirit growing in you, an amazing thing happens. The Spirit's fruit is so otherworldly, people tend to take notice. They wonder why you're being so kind. They are taken aback by the peace that you have in the midst of a storm. They are overcome by your faithfulness to God when it appears to them that he's abandoned you. And when a person is confronted with this otherworldly fruit, it has the power 
to change them. I remember back in 1996 when I was a student at Walla Walla University and I was dating someone who was not Trisha. These were dark times. (laughs) One day, my girlfriend came into the place where I worked sobbing uncontrollably. I sat her down and asked her what had happened. She was barely able to get out that her best friend's sister had been murdered. Some of you may know the story, but the girl that had been murdered was the daughter of Dr. Daryl Bigger, former senior pastor and professor professor at Walla Walla University. It was a horrific story. Someone had been watching Shannon, their daughter, come and go from her apartment. They looked for an opportunity, then they broke in and killed her. Shannon was just two weeks away from coming home, and the Biggers received this tragic news that their daughter had died on the day after Father's Day. In the mailbox that same day was a card that Shannon had written and mailed out the week before celebrating her father. It was one of the most horrific things I've had to watch, a family suffering through this kind of loss. In the days to come, this this was big news. It was national news for a few days. Reporters from all over the country came to Walla Walla to interview the Biggers. I watched several of these interviews, and the way Daryl talked to the reporters, I, I can only describe it as supernatural. You see, Daryl and Barbara, his wife, were people immersed in God's word, connected to the vine, and as horrible and as awful as this moment was, knowing their faith didn't remove their pain, their love for God still bled through their interactions. Daryl talked to the news reporters about God's presence with them in their grief and his love for all of us, even in the midst of tragedy. He spoke about the work they would need to do to forgive the man that took their daughter's life. And through his tears, he painted a picture of a loving God who would one day heal their pain and restore his baby girl. I watched as time and time again, the camera crews would pause the interview so they could wipe their own tears from their eyes. And when the interview was done, they'd often ask if they could hug the biggers. They had never seen such faith in the midst of such tragedy, such love in a place where they expected such anger and hate. How can you and I respond to the pain of this world with that kind of otherworldly fruit? Jesus tells us a secret, which we'll spend more time on next week. So here's a bit of a spoiler. Jesus tells us the secret to produce that kind of fruit is to remain. Remain in his presence. Remain connected to the vine. Remain. And as we remain, we are more open to receive his new wine. How do we remain in a world of distraction? That's what we'll talk about more beginning next week. For now, would you pray with me? Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you loved us so much and continue to love us that you seek renewal in our hearts and in our lives. You want to continue to reveal to us who you are, continue to show us more and more of a picture of you that we just fall so absolutely madly in love with that we produce fruit in our lives and we produce that fruit when we remain in your presence, following after you, chasing after you, realizing that you've been chasing after us the whole time. So, Father, as we continue through this series, I pray that you would soften the brittle and dry parts of our lives, maybe even a part of our faith traditions, 
so that we are even more open to receive this new wine. I pray that you would bring healing into our hearts and lives where there has been pain. And I pray, Father God, that through us as a community of faith, you would produce fruit in us as individuals and us as a body of, of yours, that you would produce fruit in us that would be so otherworldly that when people would see us and watch us, they would want to know where we got this wonderful fruit of love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. Help us to walk with you. Help us to keep our eyes on you always. Love you so much, Lord Jesus. Show us the way to live, to remain. In your precious and holy name, I pray these things. Amen.